Well, folks, we continue today our series on the home, and I'm going to start the same way that I've started every sermon on this series, and that is to say, the purpose of the home is to communicate God, okay? So there's like four of you that have been here each week. Super! That's four. Yeah, the purpose of the home is to communicate God. We've also said each week, each piece of the home has that purpose. A mate, the marriage, the the parenting. Uh, Gosh, we've even seen the sex, the communication. It all is a part of communicating who God is, what He's like, His commands, His principles, how He wants us to live. All of these things communicate God. Our home must... Not a good idea, not not something if you're really growing in the faith, then try this. No, our home must transfer these things to the next generation. Our home must be a light for God to a watching world. Our home should be one of the greatest things we have to give testimony to who he is, to what he's doing and to how we follow him. Our home is to communicate God. We come today to an area that I think even inside the church, man, at best, we're struggling that this is an area that communicates God. I I can say that because I know that half of all divorces, the reason for it, at least the reason reported, is money. I know that probably in all of our marriages, uh, the top two or three things that are, shall we say, discussions we have. That's the good word, right? It's about what? Money. I know that the stress, the anxiety we feel, it's in the top list, is going to be related to money. This is not an area where probably many of us feel like our home is communicating something about God. But, but let me correct you there. Your home is absolutely communicating something about God and money. Whether it's what you want to be communicating Whether you think you're communicating, it is communicating about money. The question does become, what is it? When I left home, there was two things my home that I grew up in had clearly communicated to me about money. Two things. Number one, don't put that card down if you can't pay for it at the end of the month. That card is not a tool to get what you can't afford That card is not a tool to get something now that should be for later. If you can't pay it, don't put it down. And that just got ingrained into me. And Karen and I have been married over 22 years. And I guess this would make us somewhat of a rarity in the United States. We haven't paid a single penny of interest to a credit card our entire marriage. Haven't paid a single penny of interest in any kind of consumer loan. That's the first thing my home communicated. Second thing my home communicated is everything you're looking at belongs to God. And you have to acknowledge that each week through the giving of the tithe. I remember learning it doesn't matter whether the economy is good or bad. God doesn't lose ownership in a bad economy. It's all his when times are good. It's all his when times are bad. It's his. And you acknowledge that. Karen, again, over 22 years, every single year of our marriage, we've given at least... 10% of our gross income to the church. A couple years, let me see, it's adding up now to six. I guess a fourth of our marriage, uh, we've been in two building programs, one in South Carolina and one you might know about here. We've been in two building programs, so at least a quarter of our marriage, we've given somewhere between 15 and 22% of our income in an individual year to the Lord. 
those folks are two principles that have absolutely served our marriage and our home. Now watch this. Those two principles didn't come because my parents set me down and said, look at what God's Word said, this is what you have to do. They, they didn't sit down and give me a lecture and say, this is how we live. You know what? They probably did talk about the importance of that. They probably did talk, show a, a, a Bible lesson. A Bible, but that really wasn't it. It wasn't a sit down, here's what we do. It's just what my home communicated. And it transfers, folks. Your attitudes, your practices, your use of money is going to transfer to your kids. Remember, the home is to communicate God. Very specifically, it's to transfer to the next generation. So what is our home saying about God and money to the next generation? You know, when you walk in and out of your house, in and out of a car, in and out of clothes, you ever stop and think everything I'm looking at, touching and seeing, it all belongs to God. Every bit of it belongs to God. That's a huge statement. If he's an owner, that means I'm a manager. If I own it, then I can do what I want with it. See how this have a big deal? This is much, much bigger than money. This is about stewardship. Who's the owner? Who's the manager? What are the responsibilities? Am I ever looking at anything in life as a manager or am I looking at his owner? Am I teaching my children that? Do my kids know their iPod is God's? The Xbox, it's God's. Your room. It's God's. No, you don't get to do with it what you want. It's God's. Do you realize if we're not careful about this, we may actually be setting our children up to live a lifestyle of stealing from God. That's his words, not mine. Now, who in here does not want all of God's blessing on our children? How can we say that we want that or are praying for that and yet we're setting them up to rob God for the bulk of their life? Owners versus managers. God has a lot to say about money. All through Scripture. And it's not just give it. That's usually all we think God has to say about money, right? Give it. He does say that. But he also talks about investing and, and savings, and he talks about debt, talks about co-signing loans. Did you know that God said not to do that? Whoops. God talks all about our finances. As a matter of fact, let me make this statement. You've never made a single financial decision in your life that in God's word, there's not a command or a principle you should have been following. Now, that should cause us to step back and think, now, wait a minute, <laughs> I've made a lot of decisions. Did I make any of, them, any of them in light of those commands and principles? Did any of those decisions get made in light of him? That's an important question because, you know, one thing I know for certain that is true for every person in this room, we've all asked God for money, haven't we? Every one of us has said, God, I need help with this bill. God, I need a better job. God, I need a pay raise. God, I need more. God, help! Maybe some of those prayers have been more recent. Now, follow this. I'm asking God to give me money, but perhaps the way I'm living my life, I would finish the sentence by saying, God, could I have money? Now, God, I'm not going to do anything you want with it, and I'm not going to live by any of your principles, but, but give it to me. 
Now, what would you do if you were God? The kids know. Thank you. Or parents, what would you do if your kids had that attitude? Mom and dad, give me money. I'm going to use it in a way completely opposite. I'm going to ignore everything you've taught, but give it to me. I know what I'm saying to my kids. I'm not going to say it up here. And you'd say the same thing. So how is it we can go to God and say, give me, give me, give me, while I ignore you, ignore you, ignore you? Yeah, God has a lot to say about money. And I want us to look at that this morning. Folks, I'm giving a sermon. I think I've given, I'm thinking at least twice, maybe three times. The only sermon I've repeated more than this is maybe the one on baptism. This is a sermon I've done before. I'm not trying to sneak up or be tricky here about what I'm doing. I've done this. For those of us that know it and believe it, I promise you, I know I do, we always need the reaffirmation because of the daily battle, the daily temptation that goes on there. Maybe for many of us, this is going to be some very new things that we're going to see. You know, I always thought it was weird when people would point out that the most talked about thing in the Bible is money. I mean, in the Bible, I want to open that up and find out about heaven or hell or getting saved or other spiritual, but money? But then when you stop and think, folks, the role that money plays in our life. As a matter of fact, we've looked at a lot of things in our homes here, haven't we? We've looked at communication and sex and the role of a husband and the role of what. But you know what, folks? There's a lot of things in our home we don't do everything about every single day. Some things in our home we don't talk about or think about maybe even for weeks. We talk about money every day. Every day we're talking about it, thinking about it, praying about it, mad about it, anxious about it, and certainly working for it. When you look at the role that money plays in our everyday thinking and living, I guess it's no real surprise then why God says so much about it. I want to look at this in, in, in kind of two categories today. One, what is the understanding we're to have about money? It's kind of a, a philosophical talk. How should I look at money. And then secondly, we're going to see was what's the priority of what I do with it? Okay, I've, I've got this money. What do I do with it? So first of all, an understanding, a, a philosophy, a way of looking at money. First way we look at money is number one, God is the owner. It has to start there. If you don't see God as the owner, it's going to be pretty difficult, if it even possible, to make a single right decision. I mean, folks, if you think it's yours, you're already heading the wrong direction. God is the owner. Now, look at this. Look at this progression of verses. OK, it starts off. I got Psalm 24 there. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, you really don't need to add another verse, do you? Everything on the planet belongs to God. I mean, that that's everything. But the scripture does start to narrow it down from there, it not only says everything on the planet belongs to God, but it goes ahead and takes the next step and says, oh, yeah, and your money. Yeah, the silver and the gold, it's mine. Not pretty clear there, isn't it? God, I didn't quite get what you said there. No, it's very clear. The money is mine. Now, we might debate that a little bit. Uh, come on, God, you know, I mean, honestly, that that was me out there that went to work. <laughs> that's my living, that, that, that's my work. And well, uh, according to Deuteronomy 8, it is He, it's God, who's giving you the power to make wealth. Your ability to make a living, your ability to go out and work, comes from God. Well, I don't know. 
It's my hands. They were the ones. That was my hands that were dirty at the end of the day. Now, it's not even your hands. First Corinthians six, you're not even your own. You're bought with a price. You don't even own your hands. You don't own your feet or anything else. Folks, God is the owner. He owns everything. He owns everything in the driveway. He owns everything in the garage, everything in the attic, everything in between the attic and the garage. He owns what you're wearing. He owns it all. It's his. Now, this is why this is such an important principle, because it leads to the second principle, and that is we are managers. We're managers. First Corinthians four two says it's required of a steward. It's a big word in the Bible. Stewardship. We're managers. Again, not just about money. The money comes from God. This day comes from God. The job, the opportunity, the relationship, it's all God's. As a manager, I'm managing all of this and I have to give an account to Him for it. I have to give an account for that opportunity I got. I have to give an account for that relationship I had. I have to give an account for that dollar. Now, folks, as managers, there's some things the owner requires us to do. There's other thing the owner gives us. We have some freedom. I mean, in, inside this realm, we have some freedoms for how we're going to do it. But a manager is always repo- reporting. Does that make just like total sense? I, I, I mean, folks, a lot of you go to work where there's an owner. You know, you don't tell him where the company's going. You don't tell him. I mean, uh, you know, from now on, I'm going to start considering all of this mine. And I'll tell you how I'm going to use it. And he'll probably tell you where you can draw unemployment. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Managers don't tell owners the way it's going to be and what they're going to do. Managers receive that. Folks, it's no different in Scripture. It's no different with his stuff that we're managing. Third principle we need to manage with. Folks, Jesus says you've got to be so careful about what you're worshiping. You've got to be so careful about what you're serving because you're going to serve one of them. It's going to be God or money. And when you stop and think about it, there's a lot of false gods in life. And, and Scripture addresses a lot of what those false gods are. And everybody in this room has had a false god. You've served that thing, that person, that opera. You served it. You strived after it. It was the focus, the goal of your life. You gave your life to that. You looked to that for hope. You looked to that for strength. You looked to that for life. We've got a lot of different false gods. I think the reason Jesus hones in on just one false god is there's a universal false god. There is a universal God that almost every single human struggles with, and that's money. We go back and forth. We, we can be in church. We can be singing praises. We can be talking about what we believe and, and our confession of faith, and we can be serving a false God. And folks, this is something that gets transferred to the next generation. We've talked about losing this next generation in the church. Could it be because we are... I don't know if I can say unknowingly or not, but I'll use that word. We're unknowingly saying, now God is important and church is important and you want to know Jesus, but money is money. I I think we are doing that. I mean, you know, church and all that is very, very important until it's time to go to work, until money's on the line. And one of our kids says, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're kind of throwing out here two gods. I'm not after running after two gods. I'm going to run after the one you've communicated in y'all's fights and y'all's discussions and y'all's priorities is really God, money. Jesus said, watch out for that. You cannot serve both. Let me give you a good sign that you might be serving the wrong God. 
If you can't give it to God, it's because it's your God. If you can't give your money to God, it's because money is your God. Think through that. Now, you don't have to believe me and say, well, I don't, you know what, would Jesus say that? You look in God's word, you see if that's what he's saying or not. If you can't give it, it's because it's your God. Fourth principle, honor the Lord first with your resources. Now, that might sound like more of an action statement. That might sound like more of what you would do in your priorities. But I'm treating it as a way of the way we approach it. The way I even start to walk up on my paycheck is that it's God's. And the first thing I'm going to do with it is serve and honor him. Let me give you an illustration. I got paid just like everybody else this past Friday. Well, not every some of us different ways, but most of us got paid on Friday, end of the month. And so Saturday morning, first thing I did is I, I wrote two checks. Here's my giving envelope. Here's March 7th. Here's March 14th. I'm not giving it till March 7th or March 14th. But I wrote those checks. I filled them out. I put them in my giving envelope. And they'll sit there on my desk till March 7th comes and March 14th comes. You see, the first thing that I put that deposit in my checking account, I want to remove this immediately, lest I live under some kind of false temptation that I have this to work with. Well, whatever I've got to accomplish this month, However tight it might be, I don't want to think for a single second this is a part of what I have to do that with because that would, according to Malachi 3, be robbing God. I'd be stealing from Him. I don't want any temptation that this is a part of my balance. It's the first thing that comes out. Again, that's an action statement, but that's a mindset, folks. It's a mindset that says the very first thing I'm going to do with money is honor and serve the Lord. I'm going to acknowledge who it belongs to. That's the first thing I'm going to do with my money. Fifth thing. We will manage best with a desire to be content with our resources. Now that's an interesting one, contentment. Now remember, this passage, this principle is true for all of humanity. But I think as Americans, we're especially designed to be completely and totally discontent, aren't we? I mean, isn't that what every commercial you watch is planning on that you're not really happy with what you have? I mean, really, is it contentment when I've got a closet full of clothes, half of which I do not wear, but I'm going to go buy clothes this week? I had several ladies get really mad in the last one. I'm not saying that's just a lady issue. I'm just saying several ladies approached me about meddling in the last service. You see it? You know, only in America can we open up a refrigerator or go stand before a pantry that is actually full and then say, Karen, there's nothing to eat. I'm sure a lot of people would like the opportunity to have my nothing to eat. We, we, live, we thrive on this contentment. We can be looking at absolute fullness and say, I've got nothing. And off we go. Folks, how much is enough? And I'm not saying there's one answer. I'm not saying it's the same answer for every single home. I'm just saying, how much is enough? Do you know that if you don't have an answer for that, you will never have enough? You can be living on $30,000 a year, stressed out, can't quite pay your bills, and five years from now, you could be living on $120,000 a year, and you will be every bit as stressed out, and you'll be struggling with your bills every bit as much. It's not the amount of money. As hard as it is to not make that connection, it's not the amount of money. Are we ever going to be content? I love this passage. Paul 
is writing here. And uh, the Bible uses the word contentment seven times. Six of it is related to money. And Paul is talking about contentment here in Philippians 4, 11 to 12. Now, a lot of us know what? Philippians 4, 13. Man, yeah, that's like, that's like a fan favorite. Man, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, we use that verse when we're getting ready to run touchdowns or go into a difficult meeting or make a big decision. And man, I want to know God's with me. I want to know Christ with me. Boy, Christ is going to, I can do anything in Christ. Did you know that verse was actually a financial verse? Folks, always understand a single verse in the context of all the verses. Look at what precedes 4.13. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned, and, and look at this, two words, the secret. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. Paul says, you know what? I've been poor and I've been rich, and I've learned a secret. You know what the secret is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is not money that enables my life. It is not money that enables me to be or to do what God has called me to be or do. Because I've been rich and poor and money didn't make the difference in either case. And folks, one day we're all going to go in a box and we're all going six feet under. And at that point, you're really going to know money had nothing to do with it. Was I for God what I was called to be for God? It's not money that does that. It is Jesus. That's the secret. Contentment. Now, we've got some principles. I've got an understanding. What's that mean? It means as I approach this. You see, now first of all, I've got to change my pronouns because I've always said, this is my wallet. Where's my wallet? <laughs> I have never lost my wallet. Now, I've had my family... You know, they move it around. and Do you all have that problem? You've never lost anything, but your family loses everything of yours. Okay? Now, I've always said, this is my wallet. It's not my wallet. What is my understanding? This is God's wallet. And as I open it up, I am managing God's resources. This is not my Andrew Jackson. It is Jackson. It's 20. This is not mine. It's God's. I don't have the right to do anything and everything I want to do with this. I've got to go to the owner of this. See, before I even start talking about spending what you do with your money, this is God's. How does he want me to manage it? I've got to be careful. Jesus has warned me. I don't care who you are. You've got a tendency to worship what's inside here. You've got a tendency to slip over and this is what your life is serving. God's told me the first thing I need to do with this needs to be acknowledge him, serve him, honor him. And he's told me as I go to this, and do you notice it's never deep enough, I need to work on contentment. So see, th th this is before we talk about what we do with this, the scripture is giving us a way to approach this. And the scripture also tells us what to do with it. Now, you already know the first priority just because of that word I used earlier, first our first priority is to give to God. It's to honor the Lord with the resources He's letting us use. Now, instead of just writing the same point twice, I wrote it a different way. I, I put, send it to heaven. 
I love this passage. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What in the world does that mean? I don't have a clue. What, what, are we going to have money in heaven? Are we going to spend in heaven? Does it matter? Are some going to have more than others? Because clearly some are sending more ahead than others are. What is the answer to any of these questions? Do you know, I don't know of a single verse in the Bible that answers those questions. I don't have a clue of what Jesus means by store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But folks, I'm planning on going there. Jesus is taking care of that for me. And when I get there, I don't want to go, oh, that... That's what you meant. So I wanted some of this up here. Well, well, why didn't you tell me? That's what we're going to say, isn't it? Well, nobody let me. uh, No, no, no. I told you right there. Matthew six. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And do you know what's going to slip out of our mouth without even realizing who we're talking to? What we're saying? The only thing that can slip out of our mouth when we look at that, we're going to say, oh, I didn't believe you. I mean, why else are we not doing that? Because I don't believe him. I don't trust him. Money in heaven, pff, I'll take my chances when I get there. Isn't that funny? We'll sink everything we have into the 70 to 80 years and take our chances on what's forever? That seems backwards. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says, you know what? It'll protect your heart too. Because if you start storing it up down here, you're going to start worshiping it. So send your heart where your money's going. Your heart always follows. I've had a lot of Aggies challenging me lately about all the hokey stuff I'm wearing. I said, it's a biblical principle. When you got a lot of your money going somewhere, you become a fan. <laughs> I believe you me, I've got plenty of money going over there to Blacksburg. I'm going to wear a stupid hat. It says VT on it. Your money, your heart is going to go where your money's going 100% of the time. So, folks, I know about you, I want a whole lot of my heart being directed by heaven and receiving the blessings of heaven. Jesus says, here's how you do it. Now, how do you actually send your money to heaven? Three ways. You give it to the church, you give to the poor, and you give to ministries that advance the kingdom of God. And Karen and I have always lived by the principle, and if you want to take time, pay for my coffee, I'd be happy to talk with you about it. I've always lived by the principle, I believe I can develop this from Scripture, that no matter what we give, the 10%, the tithe goes to the church for the general running of the budget. That's called storehouse giving, comes out of Malachi chapter 3. And then anything and everything Karen and I have done beyond that, buildings, missions, other ministries, we FCA, Focus on the Family, Family Foundation, uh, all those ministries like that, we give above and beyond. When I give to the church... I give to church. I wrote the same check to church for emissions, but I don't count that as my tithe. The 10% goes to the running of the church, storehouse giving, everything else above and beyond that. I believe that's what Scripture teaches. And I tell you what, folks, it has sure served our marriage well. And I'm counting on a load of dough when I get to heaven. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm counting on a load of it when I get there. Give it when, I, when we do this, folks, when we give to these things, three things happen. One, I'm storing up riches. That's what my stockbroker told me. Number two, and number three together, I'm fighting my tendency toward materialism. And when I say I, I'm talking about I, the human. You're the exact same way. We have a tendency to sink our stuff into the physical instead of the spiritual, the temporary instead of the eternal. The only way I can fight that, folks, is to give. 
to give to God and to His work. I fight against the tendency of materialism. I fight against the tendency to make that money my God. So, send your money to heaven. Second thing we need to do with it is, yes, I told you the Bible's not all about giving it. No, God expects you to take care of your family. We are to take care of our family with the resources God has given. It says, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for his household, look at this phrase. Man, that's tough. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I say that's a priority, wouldn't you? Folks, God wants us to provide for and to care for our homes. That's God's design. He doesn't expect you to give every bit of it to the church. He expects you to provide for the needs of a family. Now, if you're in America, a list of needs is quite a bit longer than everywhere else, isn't it? What we, what we define as needs. 1 Timothy 6, 8, I didn't put it up there, actually defines needs as food and shelter. Probably add to that clothing. So folks, we are too, when we're making financial decisions, we're not to make a single decision that in any way affects our ability to do number one and number two. And yet that's exactly how most people are living. We make decisions down here for priorities seven, eight, and nine, and then all of a sudden we say, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, I can't tithe. Or we get, we, we get to where we can't provide for our home. We can't take care of our family. We're living upside down. That's kind of become a popular term, hasn't it? Living upside down. Go to Florida. I think almost everybody in Florida and Nevada is living upside down. That, that means I've got a mortgage bigger than the value of my home. And you know what's funny? is they, they use this phrase as if it's new. I mean, when it comes to cars, that's how Americans have lived for the last 20 years. We drive off the lot. The car's not even worth what we just borrowed for it. We live upside down. And we're doing it with our finances as a whole. We're making financial decisions down here, and now I can't do what is necessary up here. And we act like everything else is the problem. You know, the government's the problem. They're the ones messing up the economy. No, the bank and Wall Street, they're the problem. They're messing up. Oh, no, it's the unions. They're doing... You know, I've been watching TV lately. You know what I found out? The government, the banks, and the union, they're all people. I know, it's a scientific statement. I'll give some of y'all a chance to catch up. They're just individual people living just like you and I are. We don't live by priorities. We live upside down. We get ourselves in a mess and we do this home by home by home by home. We have done it all through the 80s and 90s. And oh my gosh, it doesn't work. And we're looking around at who to blame. And Jesus is up there saying, I told you this all along. God's way is not a way, folks. It's the way. And if you're on any kind of path outside of these principles and commands, it will catch up to you. Maybe next week, maybe not for 20 years, but when it catches up, it catches up. First priorities, the Lord. Second priorities, care for the home. Third priority, pay our bills. It says the wicked borrows and does not repay. Now notice it doesn't say the wicked borrows. Okay, It's not a sin to borrow. Now, the Bible has very little positive to say about borrowing. You know what the problem with borrowing is? Is it presumes a future. And, and this is what we do. We go and buy a car. And I mean, I think about the longest you can get now, 72 months. So I, I, I buy the, 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 the nicest car I can. I get this, this payment. And woo! I can make that payment next month. 
But I'm signing on the dotted line for 71 more months. And I am presuming that in those next 71 months, everything is going to be perfect and I'm going to at least get a pay raise next month because otherwise I can't do this. And American after American after American after American is signing on the dotting line, assuming the next 71 months are going to be perfect and nothing is going to go wrong. And I want to say, what world are you living in? Have you really put 71 perfect months back to back? That's the problem is. So we said, well, okay, so then how do you borrow? You got to look at when we borrow, when we put this payment in our budget, what's the cushion? What kind of wiggle room is there? Are we implying that everything is going to be perfect for the next six years, the next 30 years? What are we implying with this size of a, of a debt, with this size of borrowing? Americans don't think anything like that. I don't have to have money to do that. It is on the line. They let me drive off the lot. The wicked borrows and does not repay. God has a priority that we pay our bills. We pay our debts. Fourth principle. Fourth principle. Now this one actually could sound not like a priority, but an actual philosophy or an understanding. It is that we work and we plan. Look at this. If anyone's not willing to work, then he's not to eat. Wow. That's in the Bible? You don't work, you don't eat. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage, but everyone who's hasty comes surely to poverty. Folks, God's plan for your finances, the priority you're to have, is one of wise decision-making, biblical decision-making, self-control, self-discipline, living within your means, and building slowly. But in America, we're just the opposite. Now, we didn't used to be that way. I think two or three generations ago, that's what a lot of Americans believe. Now we're looking for pay dirt. We're looking for a big insurance claim. We're driving to the gas station to get a lottery ticket. We're hoping our kid makes it to the pros. We're, we're, we've got something we hope is just going to bring a big truckload of money into our lives. And God says, I'm telling you what that's going to bring. It's going to bring poverty. And it has. The American lifestyle has proved it over and over and over. God's, folks, God, I need you to dump money on me. Folks, he's not. That's the answer to your prayer right now. No, it won't help you. It won't help you at all if I dump a load of money on you. It'd just make a bigger mess out of what you're doing. And folks, there's no evidence you can give to prove otherwise. God's priority, God's way of handling money is that we work and we apply biblical principles and self-control to what we're doing. If you look inside your bulletin, there's a big, big thing there about Crown Financial. This is a class we've offered at our church for years. It's starting in two Wednesdays. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. It is a class that takes 12 weeks to expand on almost everything I've talked about today. It goes into great detail about helping you alone or you and your mate build a financial mind together. Build a, a, a financial philosophy together. And then it takes us, goes you a step further. It helps you build a budget. Now, you have to use the budget, but, but at the end of the class, you will have a working budget. By the way, a budget is not, I know how much is coming in, and I know how much is going out, and I'm good for the moment. I got a budget. That, that's not a budget. A budget is how much we're supposed to spend in each and every area, which is a whole other question. Do you know how much you should be spending on cars? And when I say cars, I mean payment maintenance and insurance did you know if those three things all under one word cars 
adds up to more than 15% of your income, you're probably heading to a problem. You may be doing fine right now, but that's, that's out of balance. Doesn't matter what income level you're at. If it's more than 15%, you're moving in the wrong direction. Do you know what the percentage should be for housing? The mortgage payment, the maintenance, the insurance, the drapes, the paint, on and on. Do you know what that percentage should be? There's a percentage, folks. There's a way, and if you're outside of that, you're going somewhere wrong. May not hit you now, may not hit you for a couple years. You're going somewhere wrong, and America's the big proof of that right now. Folks, I would strongly encourage you. This class change your life. It'll change your life. And it'll bring, I, I tell couples I'm getting ready to marry, if you take this class, you have a chance of removing 50% of your fights out of your marriage right now. Can you imagine doing that? I got 50 years of marriage in front of me, and I can remove 50% of the fights right now? That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Because about half of what we're fighting about is money. So if we can get on the same page of how we understand it, the same page of how we spend it, folks, this class could change some marriages and become integral into what you're passing to the next generation. So let me ask you again. What's your home communicating about money and God? Let me ask you maybe the most important question. If you died right now, are you ready to talk to God about what you've done with His stuff in the last year? Are you ready to talk to God about what you've done with His stuff your lifetime? Because you're going to. He's an owner. You're a manager. The owner has that right. Let's pray. Father, we're looking at an issue at a topic today in which our country is in a real mess. And yeah, it, it might be in a mess because of what a bank has done or what a government has done, but God, may we realize the banks and the governments are just us. They're just people. As a people, we really have a messed up idea about money. And we're passing it down from generation to generation to generation. God, we think we're owed this. We've really sinned here, God. And the real sin is, I don't know the church is any better at all than the unbelieving world out there. God, would you forgive us and would you enable us to, to, to step by step? For some of us, God, it's going to be a real journey. But would you give us the ability to step by step start walking back to your plan and your way? Oh, God, I don't want to set my kids up to steal from you. God, I don't want my home to, to show the world that, that we live just like the world. We have the same priorities and the same false God. God, we want to be different here. And we need your help. We need your help. We've got some wrong attitudes. We've got a lot of wrong actions. We need you to help us. With a commitment on our part, we're going to start moving more and more and more in line with your way of handling your stuff. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen.